Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Faith Jones. Faith is a librarian in Vancouver, Canada. She served as Yiddish editor of Bridges, a Jewish feminist journal, and recently completed an MA in which she investigated Yiddish culture in Winnipeg. She is co-translator of The Acrobat, Selected Poems of Celia Dropkin, Faith's translation of Shira Gorshman's short stories has just been published by White Go Press, the Yiddish Book Center's imprint. Welcome, Faith. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for putting together a wonderful volume, Meant to Be and Other Stories by Shira Gorshman, translated by you. Um, a really amazing collection and thrilled to have been able to see it through to publication with you. And thought maybe we'd start off by giving a little bit of background to who Shira Gorshman was as a writer, a person, et cetera. Sure thing. So Shira Gorshman uh, was spent most of her writing life in the Soviet Union, but she was born in Lithuania, uh, in a in a shtetl, in a, actually in a, in a dorf in the countryside. Uh, was largely raised by her grandparents. Um, Actually, that's also a very, a very interesting story that she writes about sometime uh, about how she ended up living with her grandparents. It, it turned out to be a, a really uh, positive uh, thing for her because her her grandfather educated her. Um, so until he died, uh, she was able to receive an education, uh, and that happened when she was about fourteen. Um, she moved to the big city, uh, which I think was not Vilna. I think it was a, another city in Lithuania That's uh, that I can't remember right now. And, um, and she, she became involved in, uh, in left-wing organizing and, and within a year or so, she'd had her first child with, uh, with her partner and she and her partner uh, had, had moved off to, their baby had moved off to um, Palestine to uh, to work in uh, an organization called Gudud uh, Ha'avuda, which was a heavy heavy work uh, collective. So they did uh, different kinds of heavy labor for the uh, Jewish infrastructure in in Palestine. Uh, so they built roads and they they you know did all kinds of physical labor to uh, to create enough infrastructure for Jewish settlement in Palestine. And um, this uh, collective was very radical. They did not own any personal belongings. They just got um, what they needed from the collective. So, um, you know, operated in many ways like a kibbutz, but they were a mobile labor brigade uh, for the, the uh, Jewish government. Uh, this collective eventually split, and uh, she went with one faction to Crimea, where they started a farming commune called Voyanova, and uh, was there for several years. By this time, she had three uh, daughters, so she and her three daughters left. The partner stayed in Palestine. And uh, while she was in Crimea, she met uh, the person who would become her second husband, Mendel Gorshman, who was himself quite a well-known um, Soviet artist. Uh, so she married 
Mendel Gorshman and went back to Moscow with him and took her three three daughters with her. And that's when she became involved in the kind of creative and literary life of um, sort of the Soviet Yiddish community. And she really um, got to know all kinds of artists and writers through her husband's uh, artistic circles in Moscow. And that's when she started to write herself and um, and started writing stories that were, you know, some of which were based on her own life, some of which were based on stories that she had heard from other people, and eventually grew to be quite a large, uh, a large oeuvre of um, mostly short stories, but also some novellas, um, and one full-length novel. Um, and she also later in life started writing essays and nonfiction and finally moved back to what was now the state of Israel and and died there. And her years were 1905 to 2001. So she lived a really long life and experienced so many of the upheavals of Jewish life uh, in the 20th century. Um, during the war, she was evacuated to Central Asia. Uh, she had just so many experiences that were just so much a part of what we think of as the defining moments of uh, of Jewish life. It, what drew you to her work? Um, uh, well, uh, to be honest, I think the first thing that drew me to her work was um, the, the sort of violence in it, uh, the way it was so uh, unflinching about um, about women's violence, about um, when violence was okay and necessary. So um, I the first story I read is actually, it's not in this collection um, because it's already been translated by somebody else, um, which is uh, this, the story um, Bobby Malka, um, which has been translated by Jennifer Kronovit, uh, which is about a midwife who, um, during the Holocaust, uh, lives disguised as a Gentile and ends up um, killing the local uh, functionary for this for the Nazis. Uh, so that was the first story I ever read of hers, and I was um, I was really struck by the fact that. Um, the violence was so um, matter-of-factly dealt with, um, and and just so much a seamless part of the character that she built in that story, um, the character who brings life into the world but also takes life out when necessary. Um, so uh, that is actually probably the th single thing that made me very intrigued by her. We just don't see a lot of um a lot of stories in which women's violence is sort of um is somehow investigated or is somehow made a part of uh you know the, the character um so that's that's what drew me to it and there are there are some other stories in this book i will say where um what you think is going to happen doesn't happen because there are these moments when people um do something that you just aren't you just aren't expecting because 
because Gorshman sees her characters, the, most of her main characters are women, not 100%, but many of them are, are women. And she, she just sees women as so complex in this way. Um, you know, I, I find the writing is really descriptive. And, you know, for me as a reader, she places me in the scene. Um, and through both dialogue and details, which I think she goes back and forth on, um, you really are immersed in the story. And yet, and again, this is just my read on it. She leaves me as the reader to kind of draw my own conclusion. Um, and I wonder what your thoughts are about that style. Yeah, she does have this style where a lot of things are not explained. Something simply happens and you are supposed to try to figure out why, what's what's happening. For example, there's um, a story about a family adjusting to life after uh, the Russian Revolution, Um so it's called Like One of My Own, and it's about a family that has to, uh, you know, suddenly understand how to do things in the new, um, in the new reality. And they were sort of grifters before, and they sort of become grifters after. But it's a different grift. But nothing is ever explained. So it's like you know, the family has a butcher shop and what exactly is happening to the meat? Who is taking it? Who is paying for it? All of these things are left a little bit fuzzy. And um, you just have to sort of slowly figure out that there's something not right about the way that they are conducting their business. Um, and that there's, there's something a bit shady going on there because she does not explain it. Um, so those are the kinds of things that I think are, they're kind of intriguing, they're kind of infuriating, but you can't stop reading because you have to know how it comes out. Um, in your introduction, you write, I am not a quick translator, which has its drawbacks. One benefit is that the years I've worked on this project have given me time to absorb Gorshman's style and to research her life in Lithuania, Palestine, Crimea, Moscow, and Israel. I'm still fascinated by her. She still has the power to shock me. I remain grateful for her shadow presence in my life. And I'm always interested in how a translator finds the voice of a writer and how it was for you to live with Gorshman for, as you acknowledge, a long time. Um, and how does that inform your understanding of her as a writer and your work as her translator? Yeah, so um, this project, I guess, uh, now the book is out. So I think from beginning to end was just about nine years. Um, so that is a long time. I had, you know, I had read much of her work before then, but that's when I started systematically collecting stories and looking them over and deciding which ones I wanted to include. And I, I had a uh, fellowship at the Yiddish Book Center to work on this, um, on this project. And uh, so all those things, you know, sort of started coming together. Uh, yeah, I guess about 2014, 2015. Um, so over those years, like a lot of things have happened in my life. Like I have, um, I, you know, I've lived in my fifties for most of that time and, you know, things change when you get to a certain age and I'm starting to see life in, in different ways. And so as I read her, read her, you know, the first time and the time, and as I'm reading her now, I am 
in some ways a different reader. So I see more different facets of her um, with my, you know, with my own, the own changes in my own life. Um, it does become something where she sort of starts whispering in your ear. There is this kind of ghostly presence where, you know, when I read her, I can almost feel her telling me the story. And she she was a tremendous storyteller. I, I know people who, who knew her uh, in, in, in real life. Um, uh, Gennady Estreich, the wonderful scholar of Soviet Yiddish culture, knew her personally. And, you know, and he he tells me that she was a, a, a storyteller. She loved to, you know, come into the office where they were putting together uh, Sovetish Hameland, the famous magazine, and sort of regale people with her stories. Um, and this is also how she saw her writing. And these were, these were stories that she was sort of... Uh, conveying to you in this very immediate way. So I started to really get a sense of that as this, this these are the, the written down versions of her oral storytelling. Um, so I, that's, that's was a, for me, that was a big insight to understand these as being part of a sort of performative legacy um, that she had and that affects how I translate it. So there's a lot of those things. Also, I would say I've come to really understand that in her different stories, she has quite a diff different voice. Um, the stories can be, can, can really feel quite different from each other. And she doesn't have like a single kind of style or a single, you know, there, there isn't the same thing happening in a literary sense in each of her stories. So sometimes different strategies um, came up because I, I see that she's doing, doing different things. Um, so yeah, it was, it, it's been quite a process, but I do still love Gorshman. I'm not sick of her. <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned the, the different styles, because when I think of the collection, I think the pieces that bookend it, are so radically different. Yeah. Um, if it's if it's safe to say that. And I guess the interesting in your comment just now, Faith, is, and I want to ask, did she do most of this writing in the, you know, second half of her life, more or less? Um yeah. So um she moved to Moscow in the 30s, she was in her 30s, or maybe about 30. Let's say she was about 30 when she moved to Moscow. And um, she started writing, you know, a few years after that. Uh, she lived, did live to her 90s, and she was still, at, at the end of her life, she was still producing writing, and she was also still revising um, stories. So stories that had been published in the Soviet Union, uh, she sometimes revised for republication, including things that maybe she hadn't been able to put in um, the first time. Uh, she also republished some of her stories without altering them, which means that she was happy with the way they were. But there were there are some cases where she she altered the stories or or republished them in a way that makes them considerably different. Um, so she was she she did write pretty much until she died. Um, so I think, she, so she died 2001. I think her last book came out in 98 or 99, something like that. So she was really amazingly still writing in her nineties. Um, so she, yeah, she was writing for a long time. Her first book was published 
1948. So she was at that time in her mid 40s. And what's amazing about that, about that date is that it came out, it came out late in 1948. I have been able to find one review of that book in the Soviet Yiddish press. And then there was the what's called the freeze, um, the the moment when Stalin stopped uh, production of Yiddish culture on a number of fronts, and there could be no publication uh, within the Soviet Union, and that continued for about thirteen years, I think. And um, her next book book was not actually published until quite a bit after that. I think it was published in 1974. So there was this long, long break when she was writing. She was still writing, but for much of that time, there was no periodical publication available to her, for example. Um, so she was, but we know she was writing because when that book came out in 1974, it's enormous. It's, you know, 400 pages of dense type. Um, so she was clearly writing the whole time, but not able to get it out to anybody. So that's kind of, that kind of puts a bit of a hole in the middle of her, uh, what we know about her. So we, a lot of the stories, we don't know exactly when they were written because they weren't published immediately. Um, so that's, you know, these are, these are kinds of little problems with trying to really put together her literary history um, is not entirely knowing how these stories or when these stories were written. Um, but then after that, she published regularly. And I think altogether she had, she had books coming out um, pretty, pretty regularly. I think altogether there are 11 volumes, uh, some of which are republications like the Israeli uh, books where she would include a number of republications of her earlier work, stories that she really wanted to reach an Israeli audience. Um, so she didn't republish everything, but but there are stories here and there that were are published in more than one collection. Um, she also had a collection published in Poland, which, um, and, and just to quote Gennady again, um, it, it seems as if that was a pretty common strategy by Soviet Yiddish writers to sort of get around a lot of the internal politics of getting published in Yiddish in the Soviet Union, because there were, you know, there were all kinds of, you know, sort of party apparatchiks who had to like, okay, things before you could get something published. Uh, but in Poland, none of those things happened. And Poland was an ally. So they did not see a problem with getting published in Poland, and they weren't um, they weren't punished for it. So she had a book published uh, in Poland as well, and that reached a different audience again. So it's kind of interesting to see um, to see where those different books land, how she sort of molded them for her different audiences. Uh, but in all, I would say a very productive writing life. Um, when. We first spoke about this project. Um, you discussed your desire, intention that the works be made available to students. Um, and that was very important um, and something that we absolutely took into consideration um, in bringing this out. Um, tell me what you hope for in terms of using this in a classroom situation as well as you know the general reader which it was important to bring this out also as that addition 
Yeah, so I, I currently work in a college library, and I'm in touch with students every day, um, many, many times a day. And I, I just see how the right story at the right time can spark their interest in a way that can change their lives. And it's, um, I, you know, I don't know who's going to read these stories. I don't know who's going to need a story about a woman who attacks her rapist um, and actually is able to achieve justice for herself. Uh, I don't know who's going to need that story, but someone out there is going to want it. And because students have very little money, um, I I felt for them, I wanted them to be able to have this book without any barriers. Um, you know, these are the stories that I think, you know, sometimes they might speak to somebody across all kinds of cultural divides across time, and they might be meaningful. And we don't know who in advance, who exactly needs the stories. Um, I don't know if um, the listeners might remember uh, Rachel Minnis, who translates um, uh, uh, Yona Rosenfeld. Uh, she taught English here in Vancouver at a college for many years. And when her students read her translations, they uh, related very strongly to a lot of the dynamics uh, in that, in those stories. Um, and, and Rachel has said that she feels it has to do with the, uh, the way traditional cultures in some ways can reflect each other. So our students come from all kinds of cultures and some of them might see themselves uh, in these stories about Jewish life. And I also really love the idea of um, non-Jewish students having, uh, having this encounter with somebody like Shira Gorshman, uh, where they might not know much about Jewish life or Jewish history, and there's this way into understanding it through, uh, through literature. And that's what we, I think, what we hope for. That's the best of what literature could do for us. I mean, it, it's such a, it's such a great point and something that I've come to really understand since coming to the center, um, that there's a universality to this um, and to that experience. I think it bears out and we have a reading groups for public libraries, which um, primarily focus on work in translation. And um, these stories really reach a large audience, the story of, uh, yeah, um, what it's like to be a refugee, what it's like to encounter um, and to immigrate into a new country and how we carry culture with us. Um, so, yeah, I think hats off to you, Faith, for working so hard to make these available because they touch different people in different ways and you never know what that, how that's going to play out. I guess the other Maybe last question I have for you about this is, was there one work that was pivotal in putting the collection together? Yeah, um, it's a cheerful little story about starvation. Um, I've translated the title as Roommates, um, and it um, it has to do with uh different Jewish families who've been evacuated to uh, a large city in Central Asia. Uh, it's actually Kyrgyzstan um, during the war and different, um, different in the story, different Jewish people are sort of living together in the same house and they 
start to show up, all the different fault lines within Jewish community show up uh, among these different roommates. And, um, and we also start to see the way that hunger is gendered, the way that there are different impacts for women, for children, uh, than for men. And uh, the ways that these things, uh, you know, patriarchy remains sort of intact and upheld through uh, distribution of food. Um, so this story to me was really, it was really amazing. Uh, I just had never thought in that way about how a famine could be gendered, how there could be a feminist analysis of hunger. Uh, these these things were absolutely new to me. And without that story, which just, you know, uh, you know, I just, without that story, I just don't think the collection would have its power. You know, it's the one that I really, um, I really felt most strongly about. And uh, I've ended up putting the stories together in a way that follows their progression through the 20th century. So not the order in which they were written, but the order in which they are set. So that is how the um, how the stories, you know, flow from one to another. And it is right in the middle. Roommates is right in the middle of that collection. And in a way that sort of um, that's sort of the central point that pulls all the rest of them together into a meaningful whole. Um, well, thank you. You've done really, honestly, an exquisite job with this. It's important work. It's hard work to read. Um, and uh, her, yeah, again, her work is deserving of an audience um, of readers. So uh, for our listeners, Meant to Be in Other Stories by Shira Gorshman, translated by Faith Jones. It's available at shop.yiddishbookcenter.org and at bookstores here and abroad. So uh, get a copy, read it. And um, thanks again, Faith, for everything you bring to all of the work that you do. And we look forward to your next translation, whatever that may be. Thank you so much, Lisa. Always a pleasure to work with you. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.